Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9, and look with me at verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, as we begin our first message of this Lord today, reflecting upon, on, uh, I'm sorry, got a little tongue twisted, reflecting upon that aspect of our lives as Christians where what we believe the Bible teaches actually practically applies in our lives. And this is that Sunday where we consider the topic, our lives as Christians. I chose the topic of self-denial in part of the reason of where we've been at in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Um, I'm not going to waste much time on that, but you remember the first message in Ephesians 5 that we did two weeks ago, the Apostle Paul, he shifted gears and he really focused upon selfless love, self-denial in certain aspects of our humanity. Um, and, and that theme is going to pick up again today uh, in verses 8 through 14. And so I wanted to come here and deal with some aspect of really of what Paul's bringing to the surface of what we're learning in Ephesians and deal with some things a little bit technically that I really can't do in the sermon because it would just get too long and we'd get lost in the hayfield, all right? So then, therefore, we want to look at today together, what do we mean and how do we understand Christian self-denial? How do we understand Christian self-denial? Well, we come here to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, as you see on the board, first of all, because this is where we begin with an understanding uh, from the words of Jesus that we are commanded to have self-denial. Before we even begin any further in the discussion, let us to see that this is for us as the sons and daughters of God, the very will of Christ for his disciples. This isn't a certain sect of, you know, conservative people in the church. This isn't a sect of, you know, this denomination. This is the words of Jesus. This is the will of Jesus for his people that there is massaged into our life in our communities an idea of us denying ourselves. Now, I think you would agree with me if you just look at the overall um, theme and sermon series that are largely propagated throughout evangelicalism. Self-denial is most of the time not on the radar, is it? But this was an aspect of the followers of Jesus that wanted to be emphasized upon and, and focused on. And of course, there shouldn't be, you know, asceticism where every Sunday this is what we're talking about. But this is part of a healthy and a balanced walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as one of his followers. Understanding what is self-denial. Well, here we see the words of Jesus. Let's look together here at Luke 9.23 where Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me in these words is built into it an absolute requirement it's absolute this is a requirement to be a follower of Jesus to understand and to practice self-denial if there is no self-denial we can clearly deduce from this statement from Jesus if there is no self-denial then there is no following Christ since self-denial we see from the Savior is made such an important part of following Him. It is vital, and this is what we're going to do next, that we understand really 
what it is and how to do it. Would you agree? All right. So, as you see on the board, we're going to answer two questions. I'm trying to seek to understand what it really is and how to do it. We're going to do it through two questions. The first one is, let's just get what is Christian self-denial. Let's just get a definitional uh, a working framework of what it is. You could say um, it is simply this. Christ in Luke 9, 23, calling us to deny anything in our lives that would oppose full faith and obedience in His Word. That would be just a, a simple answer. Uh, pick up your cross. Anything that opposes full faith and trust in my cross, uh, full faith in you picking up the cross and yielding your life unto me, that is what you need to put away. Okay? So anything that opposes full faith and obedience in Christ's words. That's what we could say Christian denial is. There was an old Puritan named Thomas Watson. And he rightfully pointed out that there are times when a Christian must deny in committing this full faith and this full obedience. He will have to deny his own appetites, his own self-comfort and ease, uh, his own finances perhaps at times. And for those who are blessed with the crown of courage and boldness, it may even require his own life as a martyr. Well, let's get a little bit uh, more technical about this answer. How does it most manifest itself? These things that would tempt us not to yield full faith. Things that would tempt us not to give over complete obedience. How is it that they bring themselves to the surface in our lives? Well, there's three things you see in the board. Our self-wisdom, our self-will, secondly, and thirdly, self-righteousness. And I want to ask participation from some of the brethren in the church to look up some Scripture to help us flesh some of this out. We must give up in this quest to follow Jesus as He's commanded us to do and laying down our will and our desires to have Christian self-denial, particularly in these three areas. Firstly, we must give up self-wisdom. We must give up self-wisdom. When we are made to see our own depraved reason to be but only foolishness upon conversion, we understand that our um, intellect, our knowledge, our once held to lofty ideas about what we think is good, what we think is permissible, what we think is acceptable. We see upon conversion, do we not, that we've been thinking really wrong. And we have to, get up, we have to give up our self-wisdom unto the Lord's wisdom. And this is the first step in self-denial. Because as long, Brother Mark, as we think that we know better than what God reveals in His Word, we're evidencing the fact that we're placing our uh, selves on the, on the judgment seat and not Him. Right? We're still wanting to sit on the throne of our own hearts instead of allowing God to rule and reign in our hearts. And so we have to give up self-wisdom. Uh, let's look up uh, 1 Corinthians 3.19 where the Bible clarifies this aspect that took place in our conversion. 1 Corinthians 3.19 
Brother Colin, could you read that real loud for us? The unregenerate mind, as I said, has a wisdom and a, and a framework and a worldview that they're working from, right? And what's interesting is sometimes uh, that wisdom, because depending on cultural contexts, could have a lot of influence of biblical truth. Uh, you know, uh, hey, it's still, I know you're going to kind of uh, smile about this, but we still believe in the, in the principle of society, here in the West at least, is that parents should, should honor their mother and father. Uh, there was um, some neighbors of ours who one time were having a, a really bad situation with an unbelieving teenage son, and, and he was acting very rebellious, uh, very kicking against the authority of his mother and father, demanding certain rights, so forth and so on. And this is to be expected in a culture and age where everybody's uh, given the idea they have self-entitlement, so forth and so on. And so his mother just picked up the phone and said, you know what, we can handle this real easy. I'm going to call for you, Child Protective Services for you. Picked up the phone. Yeah, hey, uh, I got my son here and uh, he's demanding this, 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 and this, and this. What legally am I required to do? And the person said, you're legally required to give him three meals a day and put a dry roof over his head and have clothes for him to wear. And if you can't do that, we can get you some assistance to help you to do that. Okay, thank you very much. And that kind of just settled the whole matter, right? We see that young man's operating from a wisdom, not from the Word of God. Uh, He's operating from a wisdom that's not uh, supported by something greater than himself. He's operating from a wisdom from what? The cultural context that he's in, uh, originating from his own heart. And he thinks that he knows what's best. He thinks that he knows what's right. Now, if he brings that type of attitude uh, into the church, if he brings that type of attitude into a context where he thinks that he's going to walk as a Christian according to his own wisdom, according to those own rules, brothers and sisters, that's not self-denial. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Luke 9.23. Jesus is talking about us surrendering our wisdom to what he has revealed in his word what is best for our faith and our practice. Let that be our compass then in the first step of self-wisdom. Let that be our compass. Are we truly allowing God's Word to have the authority in our lives that it ought to have? I was speaking to a brother before church who's having uh, some difficulties with the relationship at the workplace where another person who professes to be a Christian, they have some disagreements. Guess what? There were disagreements in the first century church. What do you think Acts 15 was all about? They had to come together and reason in the word and talk things out. And I counseled the brother of our church. I said, hey, simply go to him and say, hey, listen, I know we had some differences in our first discussion about some things of scripture, so forth and so on, but I just want you to know I am willing to peacefully sit down and study God's word with you. Look at the original language. Let scripture interpret scripture, so forth and so on. Would you be willing to do that? We can do it any time. I'm on your schedule. And sadly, the report was, the other gentleman said, no, I'm not interested at all. Well, there could be a couple things going on. We're not going to pass, you know, cast a net here on this guy of a, a, a judgment. Uh, it could be that he just doesn't like you, brother. I don't know. I'm looking at... <laughs> or it could be, or it could be, that he believes that in his wisdom, he is right, 
He cannot be corrected and shown any truth uh, from you or God's word or any other thing, authority. He is his own authority. And so he's evidencing, if that is the case, I preface it with if, if that's the case, he's demonstrating he has not denied himself, right? Well, there's another aspect that's going to challenge us um, to not uh, give up our own will, our own wisdom, and that is what we see on the board, and that is our own self-will. We have to give up our own self-will. This is part and parcel of following Jesus, of picking up our cross and denying ourselves in Christian denial, self-denial. Self-will is giving up our own will under the Lord's. When God's will of His law becomes the sole rule of our heart and life, and His will of providence constructs for us situations where we cheerfully acquiesce to what He has orchestrated in our lives, this is a fruit or an evidence that we are denying ourselves and we are surrendering to the will of the Lord. We're giving up our self-will unto God's will. Let's look up uh, Romans 8.28, this aspect of cheerfully acquiescing over to whatever circumstances bring themselves to the forefront in our lives and understanding that the hidden hand of God is at work, beloved, in these things. Romans 8.28. Levi, you want to look that up and get that for us? Romans 8.28. Now think about for a minute, Levi, who this is. This is the Apostle Paul, right? And he is writing this after he has been mocked. He's been chased out of synagogues. He's been chased out of towns for not doing what the religious leaders want him to do. His life is being threatened. But yet he can write in this cheerful way of being willing to surrender his will for that of the Father, even if it means difficulties in his life. You see there what I'm calling a cheerful acquiescence over the life. This is a surrender of our will unto whatever the Father's will is for us. This is what Jesus is talking about in 9.23. Pick up the cross. Deny yourselves. We may not understand all the details as God and His infinite wisdom uh, knows, but it is a call in Romans 8.28 to surrender, to give over, relinquish our will. We were... Uh, you know, th- th- I'm almost shameful to even use this illustration, but it just popped in my mind, especially in comparison to the life of the Apostle Paul. But, but here's somehow how, how this looks and works in everyday life. Uh, me and Nolan were working Friday, and uh, I was thankful that Nolan could go with me. That's not always the case, but he was able to ride in the truck with me, and we had to drive all the way to Seymour and then go to Beach Grove, Indiana. And uh, it was such a beautiful day. And things were, in God's providence, just orchestrating just right. Well, I said, you know what? We might get off work around 1, 2 o'clock today, and we can go cast some fishing poles in the Knightstown Dam. Now, according to Nolan's understanding, I know the excitement, you know, he's already thinking and everything. And I had to add, but I said, buddy, remember, if the good Lord, jokingly, of course, I said, if the good Lord decides that these old boys don't deserve a day of fishing today and we just need to be taught a lesson of patience and we get a phone call, there's a fire we've got to go put out, we've got to drive back to Seymour, back to Columbus, I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to praise him all the more. 
Praise Him all the more. Lord, it's Your will. We're here and we're, ac- we're going to acquiesce to whatever You decide and Your providence is going to unfold today. And you know what? He blessed us. He blessed us. He allowed us to get out on the, on the lake and have a good day of fishing. But our demeanor, Nolan, our composure of our heart would have been just as pleased with either one. We're going to have disappointments, yes, brothers. But part of maturing, part of uh, walking this road with Jesus and carrying your cross is, beloved, to let go of the wheel. I know that's a, the, a, a cliche, and y'all are probably, I see the smiles on your face, but there is a lot of truth in that. You've got to let go. If not, you're going to get tied up in knots, and you're going to be robbed of joy. You're going to hold on to doubts. And... Be happy and joyful in Christ and His will for your life. Whether you get to go fishing or you don't get to go fishing, He's in control and He's good and He's wise. And He gives us the breath, the breath to breathe. Amen. Well, what about this aspect of centering our will, which is a lot harder for us, to what He reveals in His precepts or in His laws I mentioned? Look at Psalms 119, 105. Psalms 119.105. AJ, can you read that for us when you get there, please? This is another aspect. Of course, we surrender to providential circumstances, as Paul admonished us to. But listen to what Psalms 119.105 reveals for us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now this is something... I, yeah, okay. When you're a new convert... And um, you have a new set of eyes. You have a new compass navigating you in life. And uh, you're coming to crossroads of decisions you have to make. And because you are converted, because you do have a new heart, because you do have new affections for the Lord, you do have a love, uh, a Levi for His Word, you want it to be a light. You, you really want it to be a lamp for your, for your footpath, right? For the path you're walking in life. And so in those decisions you're making and in those things you've got to think about and meditate on, you go to the Word. And you see what the Word says and a direction it's going to point to. But what if it's pointing you in a direction that doesn't settle well with your will? What if it's telling you or rather implying and demanding you of something that otherwise you're not inclined to want to accept or do? Part of picking up your cross and following Jesus is to acquiescing to what God shows you in His Word and not what you want to do or what you feel pressure to do. And we all have a lot of pressures in our life, do we not? Sometimes I'm very thankful that our immediate family context, most, most of our family, our immediate family, uh, seem to want to walk with the Lord. Want, they care about His Word as being a lamp. Uh, but that, that's not the case in everybody's family. Uh, I, I know that there are some that have immediate family con- constructions that really put a lot of pressure. And you're like, I know the Word of God says that we need to think this way and behave that way and, 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 and do this. Oh, but it's going to make us the black sheep of the family. It's definitely going to make me the black sheep at work. Well, are you going to pick up your cross? Are you going to deny your will and allow His Word to be your light? Let's look at the third thing here so we can move forward. The third thing, just trying to um, whittle down some of these things that would present themselves. We could have a long list. uh, But here's a third thing that we must give up. 
in following Jesus, and that is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. We must give it up. We must submit to the righteousness of God or we must submit to our foundation for our plea to the right of eternal life based on solely what Jesus has done, not of our own righteousness. This is part of self-denial. Part of self-denial is completely resting and establishing our only hope for eternal life, our only claim to eternal life through the meritorious obedience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's our surety. He is the one who took our place upon the cross and not ourselves. Let's turn to Philippians 3, 8 through 9 to amplify this truth that we must, beloved, as we pick up a cross and follow Jesus, remember that we are giving up any hope in our own righteousness. That is part and parcel of self-denial. I think that this aspect is sometimes missed in self-denial. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand. i got to give up self-wisdom and self-will. Well, also, you must give up your own self-righteousness. That is part of what Jesus is talking about in Luke 9. Trust totally in my work. Trust totally in the sufficient, meritorious work that I have accomplished for you upon the cross. And when you don't, you're still not fully following me. You're still trying to insert yourself in the equation when you're supposed to deny yourself. Even the righteous acts that you even do. Look at Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Brother Aaron, could you read those for us? So here's Paul, right? And many of you know this text in its context is he has already claimed how if anyone had any rights to point to their own righteousness, their own worthiness of being accepted by God, he the more. Uh, Pharisee of Pharisees, kept the law meticulously, obeyed all the rules, but he says all those things are lost. Why did he say that? Because he understood that picking up his cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ was counting all of his worthiness, as he says, as loss, rubbish, as dung. This is encapsulated, again we can make a long list, but this is encapsulated, and I want to bring it to our attention here in Luke 9.23 of what Jesus means to pick up the cross and follow him. It means letting go of any hope that there's anything that we contribute to our worthiness before the throne of grace of God. For if we do, grace isn't grace. Grace isn't grace. We don't earn this grace. We don't keep this grace. It's sovereignly given to us. And it's sovereignly, guess what? Maintained by God in our lives denying our own self-righteousness, denying our own self-will, denying and giving up our own self-wisdom is the first initial several baby steps 
and following Jesus and picking up our cross. How do we practice self-denial? Moving on here, how do we practice the self-denial? Well, we talked about that a little bit, and maybe I could tweak my outline here a little bit more if I did this again. But there are three truths that I want to bring before us to remember as we strive by God's grace to practice Christian self-denial. The giving up of self-wisdom, the giving up of self-will, and the giving up of self-righteousness. There's three things. The first thing is to remember the role of God's Spirit in this whole process. Don't forget that. Or you are going to get flat wore out. You're going to run 100 yards and you're going to be ready to throw in the towel. You have to remember the only way we can deny ourselves is by God's Holy Spirit initiating and beginning the regenerating work within our hearts and our minds to begin the process of practicing Christian self-denial. If the Spirit has not worked, there are no rules that will maintain continual Christian self-denial. If the Spirit is not in the middle of the work, there is no boundaries, no uh, guardrails, there's no structures in place. Moms and dads, listen here. While we should have healthy boundaries, and indeed we are called to maintain healthy boundaries for our, our children, our ultimate hope, going back to Isaiah 20, is what? To fall on our face, weeping, mothers and fathers together, before the throne of God. Oh God, may your spirit work mightily within their heart and their mind. Because truly, Lord, you are our only hope. Right, The Spirit of God has to be working in order for these initial steps of Christian self-denial to take place. And oftentimes where there is the most frustration, where there is the most apathy, the most wanting to give up is where the Spirit of God isn't at work. Turn to Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10. Brother Colin, can you read that loud for us? And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, I'm going to get into my sermon here, but almost. But this text is demonstrating the initial work of the Holy Spirit and giving the new man a knowledge that is going to equip him and help him to begin to practice this self-denial. Uh, you guys know this, right? I mean, this is Christian Christianity 101. Prior to conversion, uh, the person, you know what, is totally fine with their self-wisdom. They're totally <laughs> infatuated with themselves, and they think that their will is just perfect and grand. Um, they think that their self-righteousness is pretty credible. They're comparing themselves with themselves. But something happens, according to Colossians 3.10, to the person when they're converted. There is a shift that takes place in their understanding about all things. And they think, you know what? No, I'm not as good as I think I am, and I'm not as smart and clever as I think I I thought I was. No, what has happened? The Spirit of God has begun initiatory work, and so we have to first and foremost remember that the Spirit is what turns the light switch on. The Spirit is that which opens our mind to an illuminated understanding of the truth of giving up our own will unto the Lord. He reveals our wisdom to be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
that through conversion this happens. He works in us the desire to deny ourselves. Wait a minute, I thought that, that we had to muster up this strength. No, this again, the importance of understanding the Spirit's role in this understanding of Christian self-denial. Look at Philippians 2.13, this aspect of God working in us through His Spirit to begin to deny ourselves. He gives us awakened understandings, awakened minds. But then not only that, He begins to work in ourselves a hatred for these things that would come against Levi and challenge you from picking up your cross and following Jesus. This is a tremendous blessing from the Lord that He does in our lives in order to help us keep our hands to the plow, brother. For if it was just us robbed of any void, void of any spiritual reality of God's Spirit within us, we would let go of the plow a long time ago. Because as we said a couple of Sundays ago, I remember this in one of the sermons, we don't love Christ because it gains us the popularity contest. We don't love Christ because it's a promise for our best life now. That's not why we love Christ. We love Christ because what we saw his work do upon that cross for ourselves and what our sins deserved. And therefore, his spirit birthed within us, what? Gives us this resolved commitment to keep the hands to the plow. That is what Philippians 2.13 is talking about. Him working within us, our commitment and our dedication to Christ and his crown and keeps our hands, even though they want to slip off at times, we've got to reach back forth. There's a brother or sister comes along, a mom and dad comes along, puts them back on there. That's what God's doing in Philippians 2.13. Isaac, you have that? Philippians 2.13, read that one for us. It's like popcorn, man. It just shoots out. You just don't know when it's going to land on you. Philippians 2.13, this blessed promise, this blessed reality that God will work in his people to help them continue to give up their will, their wisdom, and their righteousness. When the weak and feeble Christian thinks that they cannot take another step, thinks that they cannot endure one more lash of mockery, one more gesture of isolation from family or society, guess what? That text is teaching you, Isaac, when you... Uh, think that you cannot dare walk in to that peer group that you know when you, the conversation is leading to a certain direction, you know what they're going to want to talk about, and you take a stand for Jesus, you have your cross and you're following Him, just when you think that you're going to shrink back in fear and be cowardice, the Spirit of God will come and visit you and help you do what you need to do. That's what it's teaching. How many of us here have been at that point? Where you want to give up. You want to let go. This is too hard. It's, how, many, how many of you know that old saying, uh, ignorance is bliss? I, I, there's a great truth to that. You know, it's sad, but, but there's a great truth. Sometimes we don't want to know. Sometimes we don't want to care, because that just seems like what everybody else is doing. 
Understand, though, God, because He loves us, because He has marked us, because He has called us, because He has saved us, because Christ has died for us, He won't let us stay there too long. He'll give us the ability to get our head out of the fog, uh, to get up, shrug off the dust of the failure, and keep moving forward. So the spirit of God's role in Christian self-denial, I put it first because it cannot be overemphasized. It is all by His grace and how we need to seek Him. And our second aspect of understanding of how we practice this in prayer. Prayer. Prayer, if you think about it, doesn't it demand that we give up self-wisdom? Doesn't it imply that we're giving up our self-will? We do it every Sunday in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we, we call Him our Heavenly Father. We, we confess that He is in heaven. He is altogether other. He is there and we are finite men. Uh, we, we are asking Him, are we not in that prayer? This is the model that Jesus gave His disciples. Uh, Lord, not my will be done, but Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in the act of prayer, in cultivating that life of prayer, we are doing what? Daily coming before Him and confessing to Him, I'm giving up, I'm denying my reliance upon myself, my reliance upon my own righteousness, my reliance upon my own wisdom, and I'm coming to You, O God, and I'm asking You to help me, to give me strength, to guide me, to lead me, to equip me, so forth and so on. One of the first signs of an individual beginning to lose their focus, their navigation on Christian self-denial is their prayer life is going to wax cold. So, for all of us here this morning, ask yourself this question. What does your prayer life honestly look like? Because that's going to be a stark reflection on who you're relying upon. Most. Little prayer life is evidence you're relying on yourself most. Much prayer life, well, that's evidence that you rely very little on yourself or others, but you rest and rely wholly on the Lord. Be honest with ourselves, beloved. And we all can get uh, in, in those places, you know. Uh, things are going good. Um, you know, there's there seems to be no really concerns, perhaps, and uh, maybe the, the prayer life just kind of vanishes off a little bit. It's it's not as frequent, and so we never want to present or uh, lay forth these aspects of Christian uh, blessings that we get to do prayer as these rule lists that you got to check off. But, but rather, we want to present them in the light of who God is, what God has done, and their benefit and their asset to us as Christians to continue to deny ourselves and to trust in Him and to walk with Him. And when it's, when it's understood in that light, it's not a duty, even though it is a responsibility of one who's been converted from darkness to light, but rather it's a privilege. And it's something that when you don't do it, you miss it. And you understand that, wow, something's just not, you know, totally right with me today. Thirdly, let's consider, if we deny ourselves, how we must focus on the object 
of why we're denying ourselves. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would deny ourselves, we must, beloved, focus on Christ. It is hard to do any difficult task, would you agree, if we forget the reason why we're doing it. If we're, you ever set out something and then you're in the middle of it and you're like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> this, is, this is not working. This is hard. Isn't there a different way? And it's the same thing with Christian self-denial. Um, there's going to be times, and, and in fact, there, there are times in your life where you know you've come to God's word and you've given up your will and you've denied your will in subjection to his word and you're practicing Christian self-denial. And in the practice of that Christian self-denial, there's going to be instances where you're thinking, you know, am I making too big of a deal about this? Is, is, I mean, can I really maybe have this as a permissible thing in my life? So forth and so on. The moment you get your eye off the cross and on what Jesus has said in his word, that's when you're going to lose focus of why you're doing it in the first place. Over and over again, since I have been a Christian, I have seen sprouts come up, um, And, you know, Jesus talks about this in the parable with the seeds. Uh, The the sprouts come up and people are so, their conscience are so sensitive. They're so tender to want to deny themselves and look into the light of the word to guide them and to lead them. And for a long duration, a long period of time, they maintain that sensitivity to the light of God's word. They maintain that openness to his will to rule and them to deny their will. But along the way, because of pressures, because perhaps of legitimate difficulties or whatever, I notice that they begin to doubt their initial uh, 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 sensitivities to the will of God in His Word. And, and, and you begin to see shifts and changes. And beloved, they're not healthy ones. They're not healthy ones. And then sadly, after several several more years, You'll bump into the person and you begin to engage them and talk to them as the Christian you once knew. And you can tell there's a gloss that's come over them. There's a fog that surrounded them. And somehow they've lost their compass on the sensitivity of God's wills revealed in His Word uh, overarching their lives. Let it not be us. Let us understand the truths of what Jesus said in John 15.4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. We must abide in the will of Christ. And remember, He is the focus of why we do what we do. And every home has to do this. Every marriage has to do this. Every parent has to do this. Do we not? We, we, we say as head of the homes, as fathers in the homes, as husbands in the homes, family, we will do this, we will not do this. Oh, really? Why? Because of what Jesus says in His Word. May we, brother, amen, attach all of the, the things that we seek to biblically govern our homes with to the Word. And it's not just our mere opinion. And this is a great defense, is it not, for the retractors of those who want to question some of the practices that you have. Oftentimes, very few people can bring their convictions to the Word of God and clearly explain them. Well, that's just what mom and dad always said. And I tell it to my kids all the time. 
Don't leave my home and not be able to explain your father's convictions. Because how many times over and over again I point you to the Word of God and say, here's the principle in the Word of God. You can't shake that stick any other way. That's how the Word of God will apply to that practice or that line of thinking right there. And I want them then to what? Hopefully by God's grace, adapt that understanding in their own life. But... We have to make sure we are rooting it in Christ and in His Word. And in so much as we do that, we're not going to be shaken, beloved, by the thoughts of men. We're definitely not going to be shaken by the thoughts of the unregenerate world around us, aren't we? Because Christ is the focus of our thinking. Christ is the focus of our practice. Christ is the the focus of why we are implementing Christian self-denial. It's easy. It's easy to give in to the gratification of doing what you want to do, what is popular, and what even the the more popular majority of Christians may be involved in. But is it anchored in the truth of God's Word? This is true reformation. This is true sola scriptura. Testing all things according to God's Word. Well, that's some elements of Christian self-denial. I hope that it's been beneficial today because... Paul really is thrusting this theme um, in Ephesians 5 for us. And let us look again to understand that part of Christian self-denial is giving up our self-wisdom, our self-will, our self-righteousness, pleading with the Spirit to what? Intercede. uh, Pleading with the Spirit to be the initiatory work, not only in our lives, but also the lives of our family members. Understanding the important role of prayer as a manifestation of your heart's condition, as relying upon God for everything, and also keeping Christ in His crown, that's His Word, over your life as that which is to lead and guide you. This is just the tip of the iceberg of Christian self-denial. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh gracious God above, we come before you, Lord, and we do thank you this morning that we have the freedoms that we have in this country, Lord, to gather together and to open up Your Word together and consider some of these aspects of, Father, our Christian lives and living our Christian lives. And, uh, Father, just in the concluding three uh, thoughts today, uh, oh, how we implore You to send Thy Spirit uh, into our midst, into our homes, into our individual lives. And, Father, we do plead... Uh, We plead by the strength of the Spirit that You would keep us, that You would preserve us, and oh, that we would not, Lord, be led astray in the the folly of our own self-thinking, our own self-wisdom, but You would keep us to the close of the truth of Christ's Word, that You would keep keep us close to the light, and let it be, dear Lord, that which sharpens us, that which corrects us, that which aids us, that which points us to the right directions on the pathway that you desire for our lives. We bless you again this morning, O God, for just this privilege. Thank you for the health in the church, Lord. Many were sick last week, and we do want to lift up Brother Scott uh, to you as he has pulled a, a, a muscle, a really bad muscle pain in his body. We pray for his complete healing, O God, uh, that he may gather with us again next Lord's Day. And Lord, help us now uh, to just take some of these truths and, and further read upon them, further to meditate upon them, and take what Jesus taught us in Luke 9.23 to heart and understand that it is a very important aspect 
of a balanced, mature Christian walk in following Jesus Christ. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let us take a break and we'll gather in a few minutes.